This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, April 2nd, 2022. Today we uh, on the show with us, we have Mill SF Master Richard Fox, who for reasons that are top, top secret, classified, and otherwise compartmentalized, can't be with us for our normal hour of awesomeness. So we are jumping right into the discussion. Mr. Fox, welcome to Geek Gab. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And, uh, of course, welcome to my awesome co-host on whose back the terrible, terrible burden of the show rests. Um, and I just want to say what a, what a honor it is to have you on the show, uh, Dornall. And, of course, what an honor it is to have our guest on the show. Uh, how are, man, I don't want to ask that question. That's going to be an awful question to answer. What is the latest and greatest book you have published? Uh, let's see. For I had just put out um, the fifth book of my Exile Fleet series called uh, The Last Ditch. And that is a uh, military sci-fi space opera series uh, involving a uh, otherwise peaceful star nation that was conquered out of nowhere by uh, an enemy that no one had any contact with. And then during the course of the series, the one surviving fleet has to one, figure out who actually attacked them and then rally the rest of the free peoples of the galaxy to help liberate their home world. And I'm working on the sixth and final book of that right now titled Liberty or Death. And do you have like a, a guess as to ETA? Uh, Liberty or Death should be out probably the second or third week of April. So I've already got a good portion of it edited already. I got the cover all lined up. I just have to, you know, fin finish writing it. So I'm actually almost done with it. So that's good news. All right. Did you uh, did you say that was the final one in the series? Right. Yeah, it would be the sixth and final book for the Albion Law series. Excuse me, for the Exiled Fleet series. Now, every time I talk to people about... Um, indie publishing or Mill SF. I went into a big Mill SF indie publishing kick uh, two or three months ago. I was reading a bunch of different series by a bunch of different people, uh, or sometimes just the first book. Um, if I didn't really click with the author, uh, and every time I ask people, okay, who's someone, you know, give me some. Uh, give me some advice on uh, people I can read who are good people writing, good Mill SF. Your name always came up. Oh, Why is that? I, I would have to ask ask my the folks you recommended, but no, I, I've been writing uh, Mill SF and Space Opera uh, full time for about seven years now, and uh, my main series that I'm probably best known for is The Ember War, and I, I just finished off the the final book in that, that whole series uh, earlier this year, which was a little sad, but you know, the story ended right where the story should have ended. So, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about that. Not every series gets to that point, but uh, you know, I, um, I served in the military. I, I did two tours in Iraq and graduated from the United States military Academy. 
also known as West Point. So there's a lot to my background that was all about military, uh, also military history. And then I've loved science fiction since before I could walk. So putting all these things together has, has worked out pretty well. I think it, you know, it's a real chocolate and peanut butter sort of situation. Okay. So there's two big series that you're working on. Um, you said the most popular was the Ember War. And, and I've actually heard of that before. Uh, I believe uh, I noticed it when it was turned into a comic book series, which, I mean, not everybody gets to do that. No, yeah, uh, John Delaraz and I worked together, and we, uh, along with um, uh, Arkham Press and uh, and Vox Day, I might have mispronounced the publishing house, but we uh, we did get the first comic, the first book turned into a graphic novel. Uh, we're working on the second one. I don't think it's going to pan out, but well, you know what? That's that's part of of uh, publishing is taking risks, and not every risk works out, which is why they're called risks. Well, the nice thing about writing for seven years straight is if you want to write another book you don't need to wait on an artist to finish everything up for you it's true yeah when when for indie publishing it's all on me and then just getting the cover and for the most part asking one artist to draw one picture that becomes a cover is a lot easier than going to an established uh, graphic novelist and saying i need 80 pages of this because then it becomes a whole different kind of project oh boy oh boy so uh Unlike DW, I don't read military science fiction much. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about the Ember War? What is that? Sure. The Ember War is a series that is it's all about survival. And it opens with a probe from a helpful alien civilization comes to Earth and realizes that you know there's, a, there's an evil uh, uh, fleet of drones called the Zaros that are on the way to Earth. And this other alien probe realizes that Earth has a chance to survive, but the way that the, that uh, humanity can survive is going to be very difficult and is going to involve a great deal of sacrifice. So this probe contacts a young inventor by the name of Mark Ibarra, and they put together a, a plan to, one, survive the initial invasion, and then after um, surviving that initial invasion and retaking Earth, then there's a whole... Uh, the whole another war of how to defeat the larger threat of the Zaros across the galaxy. So the first series was nine books long. Uh, it's all military science fiction. I, I like to call it, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it, you know, it's Michael Bay, uh, but with marginally better dialogue throughout. And then it, it's you know, so much fun to write because I just decided to have a lot of fun when I was writing it. And so you know, there's a part where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to have giant, giant walking tanks with uh, with a person inside of a little cocoon within it plugged into the uh, plugged into the robot and they're gonna just go out there and punch more aliens and it's something it was just a blast to write and then you know then also of course you have the characters who come up and who become fan favorites over the time and there's one character by the name of Standish who's their kind of your your thief with a heart of gold kind of character and and the thing about Standish is you know, he, he's a he's a marine who's constantly getting uh, demoted because he gets got, gets caught stealing or whatnot. And you know, me being a veteran, I, every so often I run into other veterans who said, I knew Standish. He was in my unit. And to me, <laughs> you know, there's, there's been a Standish in different militaries across the world who, where people say like, Oh yeah, I know that guy. And it's, uh, I always thought that was funny where there's that one guy who keeps stealing stuff and uses it for everyone else. And, and it's been amusing to watch what's happening in Ukraine to see all the, the farmers with the tractors, 
we're making off with Russian tanks. I'm thinking, okay, it's good to know that, you know, that sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Opportunism exists everywhere. So it's, it's as, as a global archetype, but yeah, you know, a real, real human character. Yeah. And then, then with the, with the Ember War, the first nine books, they ended, that story ended right well, but there was, you know, a little bit more unresolved and that became a whole nother series. And then at the end of that series, there was another problem and that, became the third and final series. And, you know, it's almost, because I would say the whole Ember Wars in the 30s when it comes up to books. And, you know, all together, I think it's a it's a good read for everybody. The problem is with, you know, if you go to someone and say, hey, how would you like to start this 30-book series? Some people are like, that's quite the commitment because I'm, I'm one of the kind of people who, like, once I start a series, I feel obligated to read all of it. You know, no matter if I don't like it, I started it, gosh darn it, I'm going to finish so I think there's there's some people who might have a little trepidation about starting something so long. But I wish more writers had that sort of uh, obligation when they're making thirty book series. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think that the Ember War would uh, would go on that long, but you know, thanks to my readers who really enjoyed it, you know, I, I just, there was an audience and there was a story. So I'm like, oh, fine, I'll, I'll I'll keep telling uh, the Ember War stories, and pe- people keep giving good reviews and keep purchasing it. So it's like, well, why would I stop? I did stop because the story got to the point where it was over. And if I just kept going, would feel like I was really milking it for no purpose. And I think readers can really pick up on that real quick where they're like filler. And then they get a little upset because now they're just reading filler. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got a reputation and if you just keep on churning out, you know, trash for a, for a, um, brand people know and that damages your brand and that damages if you know the ember war brand but it damages your reputation as an author and if you've got other good stories to tell then you go on and tell the other good stories so that people can trust you yeah i mean that that, that that's always a thought in my head but then also you know sometimes there's some people out there who just keep putting stuff out I and mean, look at kiss how different is one kiss song from another and they've been at it for decades but you know what they, they found their niche and they're and they're still at it so. yeah that sort of reminds me um i i knew someone who read a lot of romance and there was a there's an author that well there's there's quite a few but uh, one of the biggest authors in that genre is nora roberts and that like she is the brand like you just you pick up the book and you know exactly what types of characters are going to be there. And, and uh, it, there's sort of like a stable of stock characters that she'll put in and put together. So. Yeah. There's so, a, some readers really just like the familiarity. So, but it's uh, for me, I thought it, it, the, the, for my, for me, the idea of doing the same thing over and over again and just changing the window dressing doesn't appeal to me. I feel like I would get bored with it. So I just, I will move on to more things I find interesting. Mm. So that's really interesting, but I want to talk about Ember War a little more before we move on. Um, what we got? A, you got a fan in the chat here. He says there's no filler. Every book is a solid adventure, and it has it all: uh, alien invasion, mecha, spec ops, space battles. So that's sort of two questions about the Ember War. What is the what is the one or two things like you're going to say to someone to say, hey, you might be interested in trying this out because it's got blank. 
you know, I, I tell them you know, it's got uh, great space battles. It's got great characters. And then it also it has a, a, a good, complete storyline. That's three things. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to, if people are still listening, I'm going to keep giving more things. <laughs> All right. And, and that follows up. This is a, a question that I think is more interesting to me anyway. So you've told the Ember War story. But at this point, you're a master of military science fiction. Are there things in the Ember War that you'd like to continue doing with a new story? Or are there things that you didn't get a chance to do in Ember War that you want to bring in to your future endeavors? Well, I, I tell you, I love mechs and writing about mechs. And that's always lots of fun. So I, I do have a, another series that I'm going to uh, be writing later this year. That comes back to mechs, but a, a little bit. But I also have to kind of balance that with, you know, I want it to be a very grounded story and kind of give a soldier's perspective. Uh, because when I pitched this series, this series is going to be published with Bane. And when I pitched it, uh, I, I said I want to start with characters who, you know, are approaching war with bright eyes and kind of naive expectations. And then by the end, they are that guy with a thousand yard stare. And so the part of the series is okay. How do I? get those characters from A to B. And so that that's going to be more interesting. It's not so much the grand politics of everything, but more the the, the experience of the soldier. And then also uh, there's a, a really interesting kind of spiritual aspect I want to bring into that series also, which I, I was able to touch on a little bit with the Ember War, but with this new, new series, it's going to be, um, you know, a, a kind of a religious organization that will be, uh, brand new to the readers and they're going to be kind of like, are these guys, you know, uh, how, how, how can they even do this? So know, there'll be a lot of mystery towards that. So I'm looking forward to that. And then also uh, other thing that I didn't get to do with the Ember War. Huh? You know, it's, I think I'd like to do a, a, a series where the, the humans are in a very, they have to work with aliens and they, you know, under, under the aliens terms. And that would be so unusual for the reader where this alien sort of centurion shows up and he's, you know, he's telling all these humans how to do things. And it makes no sense to the humans and just how you know the humans start to learn the alien culture. I would like to I'd like to do something like that. That'd be fun. The thing that strikes me about the first part is is or your first answer is the idea of taking people from their being not young and naive to uh, veterans, you know, traumatized veterans. And I, I guess I'd, I'd like to know, how has the response been from readers who are veterans? Because I, I imagine you have readers who are both veterans and not. Yeah, there's... Like regular um... adventure. Typically, the, the response I get from veterans is that, you know, they, they, they read my books and they say, oh, Richard's obviously a veteran because, you know, he, he, he knows all the sort of like the little inside jokes that we have and some of the experiences that we go through. Like, you know, the average person out there is not doesn't understand how important it is to take care of your feet when you're at war. And when you when I've been been in Iraq and you guys you think about your feet all the time, like how you know, are these boots? Do I need to air these boots out? Do I need new boots? It's, it's amazing how much thought and discussion goes into taking care of your feet. And then also, you know, what it's like to just try to survive on the same 
four MREs for months on end when you're in the desert. Ask me how I know about that one. But anyway. Oh boy. Yeah. So you know, it, I'm able to put in a lot of little sort of things about that the veterans pick up on, and the veterans know, aha, he and you know he knows what he's doing, and then I also know the difference between a, a clip and a magazine, which a lot of non-veteran writers tend to get tend to make mistakes of. That's really interesting. We spoke with, uh, there's another writer who uh, just did a whole anthology on dealing with post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. And uh, he got a lot of response from the backers of that one. And uh, another one that we talked to, Nick Cole, who, who also does space-faring military science fiction. Uh, he, he did a whole series about characters who were sort of who were experimented with you know genetically and mystically and, and otherwise and uh, he also got a huge response from a lot of veterans who are dealing with those issues so i guess i guess i don't have a question in the, in there i'm i'm saying that i i predict your readers your fans are really going to enjoy you bringing that sort of stuff into a new st series. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, every time I get an email or a message or a review from someone who says, Oh, this, I've enjoyed this so much. I think, Oh my goodness. I, I did what I was, I did. I accomplished my mission to just, you know, entertain people for a good number of hours and then also perhaps give them a little insight into something they hadn't thought about. So it's always nice to, you know, give people an insight and then also give people a break from you know the, the the crap that's in their Facebook feed or whatever they see on Twitter. Oh, tell me about it. I'm off that stuff for uh, for uh, nearly for good, and I I'm I don't ever want to go back. Speaking of social media, hmm. yeah, I, I mean I think uh, uh, what I would hope to I'd probably start putting in some rants against social media in the books. Or maybe in the future, everyone's going to be like, boy, Facebook, what a mistake that was. And then, you know, people realize that was not helping anybody. But we'll see. All right. We don't we don't usually do much in the way of politics or uh, or uh, current events around here. But what's your prediction of stuff like that that we're going to go back in the in the near future and be like, yeah, that was that was insane. Do you remember when we put all of our baby pictures on Facebook? That was nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's. Well, I'm trying to think what's the parallel that we would we kind of go to. I mean, in Victorian times, people would eat mummies, and uh, that's. I'm not making that up. Pe people in England would import and eat mummies and get very sick from it. But, <laughs> and then also in Victorian times, people would rent pineapples for parties, and they would just have a pineapple sitting on a table. Everyone come over and look at the pineapple and. So I mean, perhaps we'll get to that point where people are like, you, you used to take pictures of your lunch and just <laughs> share it. So I, I, I don't I, even I understand that. Probably now. go back to that. I don't think anyone's ever sitting there going, but what did the rock have for brunch? No, it just, I don't think it happens. Crazy. I, I just, I don't understand the lunch thing now. I don't <laughs> understand the taking pictures of your lunch thing now. I, I think that's how I know I was getting older is when I stopped understanding what people were doing now. Like, let's plays. I will watch 
like these little documentaries people produce on things. There's a whole series of what's what happened that's about disastrous video game productions. And I'll kick it a half hour out of my life and spend a half hour watching why this particular disastrous video game turned out disastrous. And I know a lot of people might think that's a waste of time, but I won't kick eight hours of my life out and watch somebody else play a video game for eight hours. Yeah, I, I remember when, when it's always like the thought of when I was younger, the thought of watching someone else play to play a video game was the most boring idea ever. Like you're like, let's all sit around the couch and watch Bobby try to beat, you know, level one dash four in Mario world. Boring. But now there's this Twitch thing and everyone's on there watching people play video games. I'm like, oh, all right. Maybe I was wrong back then. Who knows? Yeah. I just, so yeah, I'm, I'm out of touch. I'm, 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 I am officially out of touch with the younger generation. My little nephews, they watch Let's Plays all the time. I think they watch Let's Plays more than they actually play. And I'm just like, I won't do it. I play video games, but I won't watch somebody else do it. Yeah. I, I have two explanations for that. Uh, because guilty, I have watched people play video games on Twitch before. And it's really strange. The one thing is that if it's a skill-based game, if you watch a good player, you can learn. Yeah. So there's one thing, uh, which is kind of a silly way to do it because it's more fun to learn by playing, but what are you going to do? The other one is uh, Jackson Anderson and Chat brought up. Uh, their Let's Plays are modern TV programming for people who are on the internet instead of paying for cable. And that doesn't make sense unless you put into perspective, I, I want to say kids these days, they spend all their time online. Like that's where they interact with all their friends. You, you rarely have the couch. You rarely go over to Billy's house to watch him beat level 1-4. Or When I was a kid, we just went over to this other guy's house and played Street Fighter all day. Oh, yeah. Good times. Oh, yeah. Uh, we barely have that experience anymore. It's all online. Yeah. That's the only way it makes sense, and it's still silly. Um, speaking of abruptly changing the subject, I uh, I was feeling guilty because uh, I kept on wanting to read book one of the Ember Wars uh, before you came on, so I could at least have you know something of yours read, and I was like. You know, this morning I was like, I haven't read anything of his and I feel so terrible. And that was before I was looking at your Amazon page right now. And I realized I actually have read something of yours. Um, oh, I have read through the never. Oh, okay. And uh, I loved it. I remember reading this and really, really liking it. It's one of my favorite Galaxy's Edge books. Yeah, for, for everyone playing at home, uh, Through the Nether is a, uh, um, a a standalone book within the Galaxy's Edge universe for the Legion of the Centurion. And uh, Nick Cole and Jason Osbach approached me and said, hey, we got this sort of anthology sort of series going on. Would you like to be involved? And I said, well, uh, how can I tell this kind of a story? They said, yes, go for it. I said, okay, this will be fun. So, you know, I, I decided to write because I knew that, you know, that within Galaxy's Edge, there were people who had sided with the first big bad, Gauss Solis. 
and my th against the the republic and my thought was well why don't we show how someone could you know side with goth solace so we had you know the story that's within uh through the nether and uh you know it was, that was a lot of fun and every so often i, I would pester jason and and uh, nick with questions like what happened, you know, you know, like, can I do this with this one certain character? And I say, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm like, okay, very right, fine. And then what about this guy? Can I have this with him? Like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm like, oh, this is easy. Okay, great. <laughs> so, no, writing for, 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 with Jason and Nick was, was really easy. And I had a good, I had a great time with it. Awesome. A lot of love for those guys. Yeah. Yeah, we're big fans of them over here. Although we still haven't gotten Jason Ounce back on. Yeah, he was on once. We had him and Nick on at the same time. Oh, I must have been dead that day. <laughs> um, yeah, so speaking of abruptly going back to the real subject, um, tell me about the... Ex what was it, the Exiled Ship? Yeah, the Exiled Fleet. Uh, so that was uh, a different series that I had, I had the idea for. Of you know, you know, I was reading a an article uh, about World War II where Churchill had, had made his, I think it was Churchill had made a statement that if the Germans had taken over England, that, that England's navy would 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 survive and lead, you know, a, a reinvasion to to, to 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 liberate the homeworld. And I was like, or the homeland. I'm like, oh, that, that that's a great concept. Let me go with that. So, so we have uh, we have. Albion lost. It starts with Albion lost, and then the the the, the main enemy, the Dagon. They're humans, but for some reason they all have blue and or excuse me, purple or green skin, and they're hell bent on conquering all humans who they call ferals. And you're just trying and having how that whole invasion comes out, uh, plays out, and then how how Albion and the one last fleet and the Commodore who's in charge of this last fleet. How he has to organize and rally everyone to his cause. It's been a good lot of fun. I'm glad that I'm able to tell this story in six books. So I think that perhaps as I get better as a writer, I'm able to condense stories down a little bit better and give people, you know, good sized chunks of something to read that doesn't quite become the, the months long commitment that some other series can be. Um. It kind of reminds me that quote. I wonder if have you ever read SSGB by Len Deaton? No, I'm not. Uh, it's an alternate history about Britain being conquered, um, and the British freed is still free. I wonder if he hmm. also took inspiration from that same Churchill quote. Very well, could uh, the one of the first things I ever wrote was a, a screenplay about the Red Baron, the World War I fighter pilot. And uh, I put that screenplay up on some websites back when such a thing was possible. And I kept running into other people who'd written about the Red Baron. Now, the Red Baron died when I believe he was 26. So, and, you know, his life was very well documented for, throughout his entire uh, piloting career. And what I always thought was really interesting was how each of the other, I think four other authors I, writ I met who wrote Red Baron screenplays, we all took a very different look and uh, kind of approach to telling his story. And I thought that was interesting how there can be, you know, the exact same material, not a whole lot of it, but very, very different takes on it, on, on this, this man's life. And I thought that was, that was interesting. <laughs> 
how that happened. But. I mean, it is a it is a great idea. It's it's kind of like it's a great idea for a story or a great idea for a series where you have the last, uh, you know, the last survivors who turn around and make war and, and are able to liberate their country. Um, that's just, that's an awesome fodder for a story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly agree. I got, I'm up to six books already. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like Battlestar Galactica. A little bit. Yeah. I was going to suggest, they, I was going to mention that, but, but for the new Battlestar Galactica, there was no home to go to. They had to keep going no. and find something else. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just, it, it's like Battlestar Galactica. If they actually did what Admiral Kane wanted mm -hmm. and had a chance of winning. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, they they made it clear, you know, you have no chance of winning in both the original series and this one. But, you know, that would have been a much cooler, a much cooler series if they did have a chance of winning and could have carried it off. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, Battlestar Galactica, I mean, there's always rumors about it being rebooted, but I, I think that the, the newer TV show, Probably would have been better if it had less studio interference, but because I think like towards the third and fourth season, sci-fi was like we need it to be episodic, and and Battlestar Galactica was not an episodic series, where every single episode had to be able to stand on its own. So I think they they tried to they tried to walk that fine line and ended up making a mess everywhere. Well, between that well, and the writers saying... not actually having a, a game plan, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always thought that was funny how they, they say, oh, in the beginning, the Cylons have a plan. And then they, they show the special called The Plan, and it turns out there was no plan. I'm like, bruh. <laughs> they need some disciplined writers. Yeah. You should do more screenplays, for sure. You know, I, I my one foray into screen screenwriting uh, taught me that you, you really need to know somebody in Hollywood to mm. get anything made. And then, you know, when I was sitting around trying to figure out, okay, do I want to write another screenplay or do I want to write another novel? I, I came across the blog by uh, J.A. Conrath and he laid out how indie publishing uh, was working. This was like seven years old before indie publishing became really, you know, really more mainstream. And I was reading, you know, how he was doing this and then how he was making money. I'm like, this seems a lot better because I can write a book, actually get paid for it, Versus writing a screenplay and then trying to run around Hollywood for years on years, you know, throwing my scripts at people at our agents in the street. So, you know, I went with the let me write books and then let wait for Hollywood to come to me instead of let me go chase Hollywood. So Hollywood has not come to me yet, but you know what? I'm really having a lot of fun writing, so I'm not too upset. <laughs> well, now, you know, now, you know, somebody in Hollywood and that he, he he may have trouble getting work, too. But, you know, Nick Cole's always there for us. Yeah, my uh, one of my friends here in Las Vegas owns a uh, talent agency, but he mostly provides actors for uh, commercials, so uh, doesn't help too much. But you know, if I ever want to, like you know, be in a Dr Pepper commercial, it might happen. So we'll see. That's awesome. Plus, you can write the the most believable uh, military scene for that Dr Pepper. That's commercial. true. Dr Pepper is a field com a field combat doctor now. And <laughs> <laughs> just keep going that 37 flavors. I need penicillin. Yeah. You know, or whatever. <laughs> In space, no one can hear the fizz. <laughs> so 
Sorry, I've had a lot of sugar today, in case you couldn't tell. Um, actually, speaking of things that that sounds familiar to, the Exile Fleet sounds a lot like. Uh, didn't they do a TV show with uh, with a similar premise, The Last Fleet? Um, I think it was the last ship. The last ship. Yeah. Um, f- funny thing about that. Uh, the so Eric Dane, he's the actor that plays the captain on the last ship, and. So um, Eric Dane, went, I had a, a one book called Hell's Horizon, and uh, I convinced Podium Publishing, or excuse me, Podium Audio, to to make a a, a two person uh, audiobook with that because the way the story is written is from two very different points of view on a military science fiction battlefield, and I wrote one half, and the other half was written by Jonathan Brzee, who's also a combat veteran and former Marine uh, Lieutenant Colonel retired. So. We went to podium and said, "Hey, let's get some A-list actors to to do the the uh, narration," and ended up getting Eric Dane to narrate my side, and then Giancarlo Esposito from uh, Breaking Bad and The Mandalorian to to uh, narrate the other side. Oh. So it was kind of back and forth, back and forth, and it was, and before um, you know, I this had ever even come up. My my youngest child is his first name is Nathan, and his middle name is James. So if you've seen the last ship, the name of the ship there's the Nathan James, and my wife loves that show, um, but refuses to admit that's how my son got his middle name. That's because you wanted the ship somehow. But <laughs> so I, I'm I'm just hoping that like by the time he gets to middle school, that 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 show has kind of left the zeitgeist, or otherwise he might be in for some trouble. But we'll see. I doubt it. I I I'll be honest. I don't think the last. I don't think your series sounds like anything else. It just it just reminds me of of a better version of Battlestar Galactica. And I've been a Battlestar Galactica fan since the movie first came out in like was it 79? 70, yeah, 79. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like a better version of Battlestar Galactica. It doesn't sound like Battlestar Galactica. It sounds like a better version of Battlestar Galactica because the thought of people turning around and fighting against the aliens instead of just running across the galaxy uh, is a much better story. Uh, it's a much more heroic story. And it's a story that's far better suited for for space opera. Um and uh, and I like the concept more uh, than just on the run to find Earth. It's a more ambitious concept. Yeah, I, it, um, I've had uh, I've had a, a lot of fun with with the Exiled Fleet, and then and what's what I'm able to do with some of the characters. One of the characters is uh, he, he's what I call a faceless, and he's able to change the way his his face looks and the ways it, every. A lot of his physical attributes as a spy to, to infiltrate places and I, i've had so much fun with that character just putting him into the crazy places and also at the same time he's he's, he's addicted to a quite a number of chemicals uh and other substances which also makes his character more fun to write and uh and it, it, it's it, it's good to you know have that kind of thing but you always have the, the problem with that kind of characters the the reader tends to get a little suspicious Every time a character does something a little out of out of 
what they expect. They're like, oh, it's, it's Tolan. It's, it's him doing, you know, his face faceless thing again. So it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to walk that, you know, the, the, that fine line analogy again of, you know, like I, like I loved Odo from Deep Space Nine. And I, I went to a, a convention and got Rene Abergenois to sign one of his, an Odo book that was written by Peter David. I still have that. And, and he talked about how they would, you know, they had a couple of Deep Space Nine scripts where, you know, at the end, it's like, oh, that was Odo the whole time. And then for some reason, they just, they never really committed to doing that kind of an episode because they always thought it would be a letdown for the, for the audience. And I was like, huh. And that, that sort of idea always stayed with me. Yeah, um, that's a that's a tough line to walk for sure. Go ahead. I had a question. I had a good question because we're moving on towards when we have to let our guest go, and I forgot it went right out of my head. I no, stomped all it. over your question. No, no, no. This is it. Um, you have done a lot of uh, books with co-authors um, that I saw. And, and that's one of the things I've noticed is when I'm looking through the Mill SF books on my, you know, JAG a couple months ago, um, I noticed that you had a lot of books with other co-authors. How is, uh, how is uh, that in the indie space? Well, every, every co-authoring co-authorship is different and it all depends on the relationship between the two authors. And for all but one of my co-author books, it's been, okay, they are writing in within the Ember War. So, you know, I, I've laid out everything. I know how everything has to work. The rules are already established. So there's really nothing to discuss other than here's the story that we're going to agree on. Let's write that. And that's worked out really well with me and Josh Hayes and, and, and Scott Moon and, and, uh, and, and everybody else. So that's been a lot of fun. And then also the, 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 the co-authored book with Jonathan Brzee, it's, it was more like that was a little harder because it was a brand new, uh, brand new universe. And we just agreed on, here's our tech level and here's sort of the background. But then also what was happening was the things his character would do, my character would have to react to. And then what my character would do, his character would have to react to. So there was so much back and forth over that book. To make sure, like, you know, I go say, I need you to establish cats, you know, and uh, doing this certain thing in your book, in your chapter here, so I can pay that off in this other chapter over here. So, you know, that one was was for Hell's Horizon. That book was more difficult to write just by the very nature of, you know, it's not like we're writing together and then you can adjust here and I can adjust there. It's no problem versus you are writing alone. I am writing alone. But these two things have to have to mesh together. That was harder. That was a lot harder. But still, the the, the book that came out was was excellent, in my opinion. And then I also uh, did wrote a book with David Weber, who I have admired for decades. I, I you know read so many Honor Harrington books uh, in college, and then when he approached me, he said, "Hey, do you want to write this series with me?" I was like, "Yes, please." And then also it was it was a little easier because you know he already had everything established. He's like, "Here's here's all the rules." And here's how we're going to do it. I'm like, okay, fine. Boom, off we go. And then we've got uh, Governor sent to Empire. And I, we're going to start on the second book for that here pretty soon. So, but also, you know, writing with David, who's been writing for, you know, he, he is the master of military science fiction and space opera, in my opinion. So, you know, when it's come time to write with him, it's very much, you know, 
here's what we're going to do. And then I will, you know, sometimes I'll have a suggestion and he'll almost all, you know, whenever he has a, a, an objection to my suggestion, he so, he's so professional and polite. And like, That's a great idea, Richard, but except, you know, then he lays out why that doesn't work. I'm like, oh, okay. No problem. Then other times I suggest something. He's like, that's great. I would never have thought of that. Let's do that. So writing with David has been a, a just a tremendous experience. I'm so blessed to have it. But as far as, you know, writing within the indie space, you know, I, I'd say that, you know, no, you know, have everything established before you start writing of this is the story. This is how we're going to execute on it. This is how we're going to do all the royalties and advertising and all that. And then that way, you know, you're not 75% through the book. And then the, the other writer goes, no, I don't want that now. I want to change my mind. I said, what? <laughs> you know, you, no one, no one wants to write a book and then realize two thirds of the way through that you had to redo it. So that'll. That, 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 you know, people wonder why re re uh, writers drink, you know, it's probably for stuff like that. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of a question about writing itself. I haven't asked a, I haven't asked a writer this in a while, but do you, uh, are you outliner or pantser? I'm a huge outliner. I love outlining that way. You know, I know what the story has to be and I know, and I'm confident of, where the story's going before I even sit down to write the first word. So yeah, I don't, I don't know guess. how answers do it. I would be, be sitting there thinking like, oh, what if the good idea fairy comes along? You know, and then, oh, I just scrap everything. Oh, my gosh. And I know that's happened to them. But, you know, when I outline, I have some pretty extensive outlines. And then every once in a while, the muse will still show up and whisper in my ear to hey, go do something else. And See, but, go ahead. The thing is, I know enough about military people to know what the good idea fairy is. Oh yeah, yeah. She's vicious. And some people just don't know how to tell her no. But yeah. So, but yeah, you know, sometimes I'll still get the good idea fairy come along. And I, I've noticed that if I just say, I'll use that idea somewhere else, she'll go away. And then I just put that idea aside for a different project. But no, having the outline done and knowing where the story's gonna go is uh, very helpful and I, I will sometimes i'll spend more time outlining than actually writing the whole thing just to get the story correct i so you see no reason why you shouldn't do that uh the, the only very often sudden ideas that come to you will have unanticipated or unexamined consequences that uh can ruin books. If you ever watch a movie and uh, or TV show or whatever, and they pop out something, some miracle device or something, that when you look at it, it'll ruin everything about a previous book in the series, like the time turner from oh uh, book three of, of the Harry Potter series. Mm -hmm. That very often things like that uh and i'm not saying that was the case with harry potter i'm just saying that devices like that are very often the result of the good idea fairy you just get this sudden urge and you're like oh this would be perfect and they throw it in and and maybe it works for that specific scene or that specific you know section of the book but if you're just throwing it in willy-nilly, you don't have time to examine or you haven't taken the time 
to examine all the consequences or think it through or see if it makes sense in the larger series and you're actually ruining a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, whereas if you're outlining the book, then you're not going to do that. Yeah. Hopefully. Normally if I ever see something like that in a show, I just think, ah, oh, the writer got stuck and they just threw a Hail Mary and <laughs> tried to get out of the problem that they wrote themselves into. That's normally what I attribute it to is that the writer just, you know, they got to the point where they realized they couldn't solve the problem organically. So they had to go back and or, or invent something new to magically solve their own problem. And, you know, that's why I like outlining, because I can get to the point where the story like, OK, this doesn't work here. I need to have, you know, uh, sit there and think to myself, I have to go back to the first act and have this one space fleet be prepared to come in at the end of the third act to rectify the situation. So, you know, then I have to go back and change the outline to, you know, make everything seem like it all oh, it all just fit together perfectly. And like, I look like a genius, you know, when people read it. But really, sometimes I'm like, I don't know how to fix this. Let me go back and, oh, there we go. Now, now it works. And then, like, with the with the Ember War, one of the big things is there was no faster than light travel. But then uh, during uh, one of the series called uh, the, the Terra, Terra Nova, um, a bunch of characters from the first series goes to this dwarf galaxy outside of the, of the Milky Way and finds some technology that does use faster than light travel. And then that fat, that FTL comes back into the main storyline for the final uh, Ember War series. But yeah, and that ended up solving a whole bunch of problems that you know uh, I needed to solve for the third series. So okay. We have um, about five more minutes before you have to take off. Um, do you have any last any last thoughts or anything else you want to plug? Other than you have the final novel in the entire Ember Wars series coming out in two weeks. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, the Albion Lost, the final Albion Lost series should be out in about, about three weeks. Oh, I'm and, sorry. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, for, for all the people who are out there, you know, I, I really appreciate everyone who reads and listens to Military Sci-Fi because, you know, it, it's it's only possible with the readers and the listeners who, who give their time and, and, and spend the money to support artists who are out there uh, you know, trying to give you guys the best stories. So, you know, for, and I don't think we artists ever, you know, get show enough appreciation to the audience because the audience is what makes it possible. And the audience gets to choose which direction things go. So for everyone out there who, who likes, you know, good quality military sci-fi and space opera, thank you for continuing to, to read and support and, and leave those reviews. I, <laughs> reviews matter a lot because it, it tells your art, the artists where they're going right or where they're going wrong. And we, we appreciate those honest reviews as well. Well, for my part, uh, I'm glad you came on. It's great to talk to another good Arthur. And what you said about the audience rings true. Uh, there, I, I haven't heard of an audience with a deeper appreciation for the work than the military science fiction audience. Uh, veterans in particular they love being heard they they love knowing that other people are are out there with the same knowledge uh it's it's a great club and i love hearing from it i uh, really appreciate everybody hanging out in the chat today i hope everybody listening to later really enjoyed the show and in the interest of time i'll stop there and say have a great week thanks everybody pleasure being here
All right. Is this my turn? This one Take it away. Turn? Take it away, DW. Um, we want to say thank you uh, to Mr. Fox for coming on the show and talking about uh, his uh, several series. Um, we want to say thank you to everyone who uh, turned in and listened live and participated in the chat. And we want to say thank you to everyone who will listen to later. You can catch this show just about every Saturday uh, about this same time. That is 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on YouTube.com slash GeekGab. That is YouTube.com slash GeekGab. Or you can catch us on SoundCloud.com, the Google Play Store, or on the iTunes Store. Just do a search for GeekGab. We're available to download on the device of your choice, or you can listen to us on the web. And uh, I think that's it. I don't think we have anything else to say for today, except uh, we also appreciate our audience. Uh, we thank you guys for subscribing. We thank you guys for listening to the show. Uh, and uh, by all means, if you have any suggestions for guests or anybody you'd like to see if we can get on the show, go ahead and uh, send us an email at geekgabfest at gmail.com. That's geekgabfest at gmail.com. And uh, we will uh, see if we can arrange for whoever it is your dream guest might be. I'm not saying we can, but uh, we will definitely give it a try. We are signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.